It was Friday night. It was at Second Son's Brewery right next door with a lot of you from our church listening to Jeff and Allie sing, and it was fantastic. We had a great time. A lot of laughs, a lot of fellowship together. Um, And I was sitting across the table from my friend BJ, and he said, you know, Flipsky's got a lot of talented people in it. I said, you know, we really do. There's no doubt about it. I mean, certainly Jeff and Allie singing was was a highlight. But we started talking about the different people with all kinds of different talents in our church. Uh, and my friend Robert was there, and Rob is the, the head of the IT uh, department at uh, Valley Children's Hospital. And so, he, you know, he knows his computer stuff. And he works on our children's ministry. He and his wife, Jen, work on children's ministry. Uh, and he saw a, a, a plywood, looks like a video game console that used as a prop for something we did with children's ministry. Uh, and he thought, I, I bet I can make a video game and put it inside that prop. And so he... He did. It was, it, they've got this whole video, like two-person video deal with over 2,200 good video games. Like back when I was a kid, video games. Like Galaga, like, like the, 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 the best one ever. And Tetris and all kinds of stuff. And so he made this whole thing. And, and it's, it's just, I think I'm going to put it in my office. It's really, really cool. Um, and then... And then I was looking at the wall in there, and I don't know, some crafty lady, I don't might have been my daughter-in-law, she had all the books of the Bible that she put on a board there. And then I looked around at all the wood stuff, BJ and Gary all made all this wood, just everything. It's just, you, got, you people are so talented. And then um, there's things for people like me who don't have talent called Care Connection. Uh, and, and Scott and Vern and I, there were three of us, yesterday that showed up to Care Connection. We had three jobs, but we'll only do one because the three of us showed up. But we did that one really, really well. Little lady who, uh, who had a traumatic brain injury years ago, three months in a coma. Uh, and God saved her life, and she realizes that. And uh, she works hard in her yard, but just needs a little bit of help. So I was just thinking about all this stuff, and I thought, you know what? My son, Joe, who also is very talented, uh, I sent him some pictures and a little video and he put together a little 40-second video. Uh, just say, hey, thanks for being such a talented church. And so here's a little 40-second video with a couple of the stuff I just mentioned. That's me playing. That's me playing. (laughs) Anyway, it's just a little snapshot. Say, yeah, look at me. We've got a lot of talented people here. And and I guarantee you, you've got a lot of talents too. Uh, And so I just want to say thank you on behalf of our church, on behalf of the community, on behalf of the kids, uh, just on behalf of uh, so many uh, for using your gifts and abilities and your talents and serving people through this church. Uh, so many of you serve because you love God, uh, you're, you're appreciative of what he's uh, enabled you to do, and you serve people because you love them. And I just want to tell you thank you for that. Um, we're in this series that I've entitled Relentless Love. And the premise of this series 
is that because of God's relentless love, he has a relentless devotion to your highest good. And I realize uh, I'm not ignorant in saying that, that in saying that, some of you, because of life right now, and because of what you are experiencing and have to live through and with, it's easy to question God's devotion to your highest good. While the idea sounds fantastic that God himself would have a relentless devotion to my highest good, the reality of that, I realize and I acknowledge, it might be easy to question at times. You, you might be looking at something in your life, going through something in your life where you think, well, I know God does love. But a relentless devotion to my highest good, I question. Understand. Now, it's what I want to unpack and talk through in this series. The, the Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. God's relentless love is both our model and our goal. See, it's, it's because of God's relentless love that God's love endures forever. And while that might be true and it's easy to say, it's difficult to believe during the dark nights of your soul. Though we can say that God's relentless love means that his love endures forever, that's difficult to believe when you feel the fires of hell at your feet. We believe that God's relentless love means that God loves us even when we're unfaithful to him. But that's difficult to emulate to those who have hurt us deeply. Well, we believe that God's relentless love means that God relentlessly does. That's difficult oftentimes to continuously do for others. And so it's easy to say, and it sounds good to say, that God's relentless love is unending, is always faithful, and always does. It's difficult to believe and to practice. But friends, I want to tell you that Christianity was never supposed to be easy. Here's the thing. Faith is simple. Discipleship is difficult. See, we desire convenience, but sometimes love isn't convenient. Would you agree? And so before I unpack this any further, I want us to pray together. Father, thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that there's nothing we could do nor neglect that would separate us from the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. Thank you that your love means that you relentlessly do that you are never inactive, you don't sleep and you don't slumber. Father, I ask that in this moment and in this place that you would help us to understand, to understand with our knowledge and to understand experientially the vastness and the magnitude of your relentless love that you have in a relentless devotion to our highest good. And in those times and moments in our lives when it doesn't feel as if that's the truth, 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would convince us of it so that we don't doubt it. Father, I ask in this moment that you would simply respond to us according to the full measure of her mercy and the full magnitude of her grace, in spite of what we've done and in advance of what we do, that you would look at us and choose because of your relentless love to respond to us according to the magnitude of your mercy and the incredible measure of grace. Father, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt in my heart that the devil would love to confuse us and to convince us otherwise that you're not devoted to our highest good, that we can't trust your love, that there are some people in our lives who have hurt us so badly that maybe they don't deserve to be loved. So, Father, in this moment, I ask by the presence of your Holy Spirit that you protect us from the evil one and from the doubts, that you protect us from the pain of our past, the failures of our present. And that in this moment, because of the blood Jesus shed on the cross for our sin, you would give us authority to dispel the evil one, to reject his schemes, and hold on to the knowledge and the experience of your relentless love and pass it on to others. Thank you that you're with us. Help us to feel your presence. In your name I pray, amen. I want you to consider two things. I want you to consider two things. How has God's love changed your life? And how has God's love through you changed others? If you say that you're a follower of Jesus, and if you're not, that's that you just sit and listen. Just consider. But if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to consider how has God's love changed your life? And then... The natural outcome of that is how has God's love through you changed someone else? Because here's the thing. We can't just sit and say, God, let me experience your love without that being then passed on to others. It's incomplete if it's not transmitted. So how, how, how has God, if you say, how has God's love changed? And how has God's love through you changed somebody else? That's the point of it. See, our goal is to be overwhelmed by the understanding and the experience of God's relentless love, and then, as best we can, to replicate that to other people. The goal is both to experience it in our heads, so we know it in our hearts and lives, so we experience it, and then to go the next natural step in replicating that love to somebody, because if it's not replicated in other people's lives, it's wasted on us. You understand? To the reality, if you give your life to Jesus, I'm going to tell you right up front, if you've not done that, I'm going to tell you right up front what's expected of us. If you give your life to Jesus, Christian living is not simply an extracurricular activity we add on to the busyness of our schedule. It, it, Christianity must be a thing that we live and that actually changes how we think, how we act, and how we react. The Bible says that Christianity, if we give our life to Jesus, is meant to be a thing that makes us strange in this world. The Bible says a peculiar people. 
that we're supposed to, all things are different. See, the fact is, Jesus does not ask much of those who don't follow him. He doesn't ask much at all. But he asks a great deal of those who do follow him. And part of what he asks of us is what we're going to look at today. Now, let me just be very clear. Christianity was never designed to be easy. It's simple, but it ain't easy. And one of the most difficult things we can do is that which Jesus asked us to do that we'll look at today. One of the hardest things to do is to love people relentlessly as we have been loved because he first loved us. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to Matthew chapter 5. I notice a lot more people actually bring in their paper Bibles with them. That's fantastic. If you got an electronic one, it should be easy to get there quickly. I will wait to hear pages flipping of those who have a paper Bible. Matthew chapter 5, go to the middle Bible, take a right. For those of you who have neither a paper Bible with them nor an electronic Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me, but this is your warning. Start bringing your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus was on a mountainside, and he was looking down the mountain across the Sea of Galilee to on the other side was a hill called the city of Tiberias was on that hill, the other hill. And in this region of this mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee is where Jesus did most of his public ministry. And it's from these shores that he called James and John and Peter and Andrew as fishermen to follow him with their lives. And it's on this mountainside that Jesus preaches the longest discourse that we have record of. It takes up three chapters in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. A corollary of this passage is called the Sermon on the Plain, and it's found in the book of Luke. But for our purposes, we're in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And in this sermon that he gives on the mount, looking over the Sea of Galilee, he begins it with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are simply a long list of outlining life in the kingdom for those who will be his kingdom people in the world and how to live life. And the reason why they're called the Beatitudes is because there's, there's, there's about a, a 10 verses or so there that start with the word blessed. The Greek word is makarios, and it literally means happy. He says, I want to tell you how to be happy in this world. And in Matthew 5, starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed are the, blessed are those, blessed are the, blessed are those, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are the, blessed are those, blessed are you. He said, I'm going to tell you how to be happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, who realize their need of a kingdom. Happy are those who mourn over their loss and over their, what they've lost spiritually as well. Happy are those who are meek in spirit. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I'm going to tell you how to be happy. It has everything to do with my kingdom and how you live in this world. And after he moves through the Beatitudes, he gets to the heart of his message. And he starts dealing with the law that was given to the Israelites and those who follow God. And the key in this passage 
in the Sermon on the Mount is verse 17 of Matthew 5. And he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now he says that as a setup for what he's going to do. And what he's going to do is lift out of the law six different laws that have been misunderstood, misinterpreted, and misapplied. And six different times he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I, six different times. And this is what I want to look at today. He goes back and he says, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And what Jesus is doing is taking out six laws that have been misunderstood, misapplied, mistaught. And he's saying, you've heard it said, you've heard it taught, but I'm telling you what it means. You've heard it said and you've heard it taught, but I'm telling you what it means. You've heard it said and you've heard it taught, but I'm telling you what it means. You've heard it wrong. It's been taught wrong. You've believed wrong. I'm going to tell you what it means. And this parallel of these two phrases, you've heard it said, but I say that parallel. You've heard it wrong. This is what it means. That parallel runs all the way through this second half of Matthew 5. For six different laws, as an example, in verse 21, Jesus deals with the idea of murder. And he says, you've heard us say, do not commit murder. But I say, and what he's doing is quoting from Exodus 20, the law that was about murder. And he's saying, you've heard it said, it's been misunderstood and misapplied. So I'm going to tell you what it means. And he goes on to explain to you. This is the real meaning, he says. And over and over and over through six misunderstood mistaught and misapplied laws. And it's just the way it goes all the way up until verse 43. And verse 43 is what we just read. Verse 43 says, you've heard it that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And he's using the same cadence. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, you've heard that it was said. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, what Jesus is quoting is the law from Leviticus 19, because this has been his standard. You've heard it said, he quotes an Old Testament law, so I'm going to tell you what it means. So this is the way he does, and this is what he's saying here. You've heard that it was said, Leviticus 19. The problem is, what Jesus says here in verse 43 is not what Leviticus 19 says. Jesus says... You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Hinting to Leviticus 19. The problem is that's not what Leviticus 19 says. So what does Leviticus 19 say? Leviticus 19 18 says this. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. There's nothing in Leviticus 19 about hating your enemy. That's not part of God's law. And yet Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, just like all these other laws, but that was never part of God's law. Jesus says this, y'all been living by a law that's not part of the law. You've got it wrong. The law only says love your neighbor as yourself. So if that's the truth, where did the hate your enemy part come from if it's not part of Leviticus 19? It's a great question. Thank you for asking. So after 1,500 years, love was changed to hate and was accepted as right. Someone added, hate your enemy. And what happened is people had heard it so much and teachers had taught it so much and culture had promoted it so much that soon people forgot what God had said in God's word and believed only what they had heard. And the same has happened today over and over and over again. People have forgotten what God's word has said. And people have heard contrary so much and been taught contrary so much. And culture has promoted contrary so much that people have forgotten what God has said and believed only what they have heard. So by the time, get this, by the time Jesus shows up, there was a law amongst God's people that said you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy and be right with God. May it never be so. And this is so prevalent in our day, my friends. It's so prevalent in people who claim, like us, to follow Christ. We believe that we can indeed love our neighbor and hate that person who, and carry a grudge, and live without forethought of families and relationships torn apart, and believe at the same time we can stand in a right relationship with God. How is it? that we can use the Bible to unlove people that Jesus loves. Why is it so prevalent that we can hate people who have done us wrong? No, 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 I really understand. There are some people in this room who are really close to Jesus and really spiritual. And who would say, I really don't hate anybody? I mean, I really don't. If any parent dares to say that, let me just ask about those people who have harmed and hurt your children. Now we're on shaky ground. Right? Because in my holiness, do what you do will to me. 
But when you come to my baby, how is it so prevalent that we can hate people? Maybe not have done us wrong, but have done our babies wrong. Because it's instinctive and it's part of our fallen human nature. Now, I get it. Maybe there's some people in your life that are easy to unlove. I understand. I mean, if you got people in your back that have stabbed you, you got people in your life that have stabbed you in the back, you understand. There are people, the easy to unlove. If you got people in your life who have said nasty things and posted nasty things behind your back, there are some people, it's easy to unlove, right? If you got people in your life, that have indeed been nasty and mean to your child. Oh, there's easy to unlove some people, right? Thank you, Linda. I got one honest parent in the room. You, you meet some people that are just racially prejudiced. There's some people that's easy to unlove. You got some people in your world that are just lazy, arrogant, prideful, spiteful. There's some people that it's just, it just easy to unlove, right? 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 But that ain't the way of the cross. That ain't the way of the cross. And Jesus says, if you love those who are good to you, and you unlove those who are nasty to you, you're no better than a tax collector. Now let me understand, help you understand, a tax collector, you're some nasty people back in the day. Because in this day, in Jesus' day, they were ruled by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire abused them, was brutal towards them, and taxed them heavily. And what's more is they conscripted Jews to be the tax collectors against fellow Jews. And Rome says, we want this much. You're welcome to collect however much you want to collect. You give us our portion, you keep whatever's left. So most of the tax collectors in Jesus' day were unscrupulous cheats and thieves that worked for an oppressive government against their own people and got fat off the livelihoods of fellow Jews. They were hated. And Jesus says, if you love those who love you, and hate those who are mean to you, you're worse than one of them when you've called to be better. You want to change the world? Love your enemies. Now, remember when I asked when I started this, this thing that, that when I said that Christianity wasn't intended to be, to be easy? And you're asking, no, that's true. It's really hard. Like... Every Sunday morning, that's really hard. Like, my weekends are mine. And so, so following Jesus is really difficult sometimes. That's the easy part. This stuff right here, So, but if you believe that God's relentless love means that God has a relentless devotion to our highest good, there's something about this love in our enemies part that must be for our good. Do you understand? So, so, so us loving our enemies, 
isn't just so that they will see the love of God. It's not just so that we'll be good church religious people. It's not just so that I'll be better. It's for my good somehow. So let me ask you this question, you Bible students. When Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what was his response? Okay, I'm hearing some mumblings. Someone say it like you know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a little more difficult than I thought it would be from you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor in place of yourself. So, but, so, so let's just watch here. If I'm convinced, as I've heard, as I believed, as culture has perpetuated, that I can love my neighbor and hate my enemy, then I have to discern between who is my neighbor and who is my enemy. And this is the very question that was asked of Jesus. Who then is my neighbor? Here's your answer. The, 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 the Greek words for neighbor and enemy, there's a difference in the term. But I'm going to tell you what the difference is. Here's the difference. The difference in Greek between your neighbor and your enemy is simply this, your perception of them. That's the difference between your neighbor and your enemy. According to biblical Greek, now, there are different words. Let me explain it. The biblical word for neighbor is plesion, which means literally any other person. It means any other person, irrespective of nation, irrespective of religion, any other person with whom you meet, any person near to you, that's your neighbor. The Greek word for enemy is ekstros. And what that means is literally anyone who is just obnoxious, even those who are hateful, and those who just simply always oppose you. You ever met someone like that? Yeah, and yet you married them, and so you're stuck. <laughs> and so please understand. Just understand logic. If my enemy is someone who is obnoxious, and my neighbor is any other person that I meet, then by, 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 by logic means it means my enemy is my neighbor. You understand? And so the difference between those you have viewed as your enemy and those who are your neighbor is your perception of them, is your labeling of them. So here's what we do. Relentless love begins when I look at a person and refuse to label them as my enemy. Some of you have been fighting with your neighbors because you've called them your enemy. And some of you are married to your enemy when they should be, you should be their advocate. See, the moment I label someone as my enemy, now I must conquer them, beat them, and defeat them. Right? But the moment I label someone my neighbor, well, now i got to treat you right. This is the difference in Luke 10, in the story Jesus told about the Good Samaritan. There was a man beat up, hurt, and ailing on the side of the road. And some religious people walked by. And rather than labeling that man as their neighbor... They labeled him as something other and walked on. And then a Samaritan walked by, even though the one hurting was his natural cultural enemy, labeled him as his neighbor and mended him. The difference was not in the injured man. The difference was in the perception, the label of those who walked by. 
You understand? What I should have done when I started is asked you to get in your head that person. I should, what I should have done is asked you to have in mind that family, those people. You know who I'm talking about, right? You know who I'm talking about. Had I asked you to do that on the front end, you'd have been guarded with me. So I'm asking you right now, get in your mind that person. You know what they did. You know your experience with them and of them. You know how they hurt you. You know how wrong they were. You know all the injustice that you got a right to unlove. The difference is how you choose to label them. So the question is, how do you see others? How do you label others who are different than you? How do you label others who have hurt you? How do you label others who have offended you? How do you label others who have hurt those whom you love? They've been your enemy. Want to follow Jesus? They are now your neighbor. I get it. I'm going to tell you one of our problems. Oh my goodness, I'm supposed to be done right now. I'm not going to stop. Okay, so just understand, it's going to be longer today than usual. I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you one of our problems. Our problems is that we allow other people in our lives to label people in our lives. We allow other people in our lives to define who we should be fighting with. Never allow someone else in your life to label others in your life. Here's an example of what I mean. And we've all done it. Man, if they did that to me, I'd... Mm. Right? Man, if they did that to my kid, if they posted that about my kid, if they said about that about my kid, you know what I'd do? And we allow other people in our life to label people in our lives. And what they usually label them as our enemy rather than our neighbor. So here's the deal. The first step in relentless love is surround yourself with others who label people as neighbor rather than enemy. If you have people in your life who label those in your life who may have indeed done you wrong, but who label them as your enemy, get rid of them in your life. Don't keep people in your life who perpetuate your fights. Get rid of those people in your life. Get around people who cause you to see those who hurt you as your neighbor, not as your enemy. Remember again when I started and I said Christianity was never intended to be easy? This is the difficult part. I mean, do you realize how good and peaceful it is to have neighbors rather than enemies? See, some people here are so miserable because you have more enemies than you have neighbors. And the only difference between those two is how you've chosen to label them. So, that was all set up for my message. Let me give you three things. From Matthew 5, Jesus says, the keys to live in relentless love, like I have loved you, he says. 
The first one is this from Matthew 5. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse Matthew 5, 44. This is a hard one now. It's a hard one to speak words of blessing over those who have cursed us. Because, boy, we know how to string together some words that aren't in the Bible, don't we? And, boy, I'm telling you what. Someone curses me, my kid, I know how to say some things. Right? The word bless. Eulogio, it's where we get our word eulogy. It means literally to invoke blessings upon them, to pray God to bless them. Those who have cursed you, those who have spoken ill about you and your children, invoke the blessings of God upon them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Maybe those people in our huddles need to hear us blessing those who have done us wrong. What a testimony that would be. Maybe someone who has hurt you in your past needs to be eulogized. Not euthanized, eulogized. I know that's where some of you are going. Maybe they need to be eulogized, spoken well of, and then put that memory in the ground. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of us have carried around hurts from our past, and people from our past, we've labeled it enemies for so long, they need to be eulogized. We are not the pain of our past. We have been healed and redeemed. See, oftentimes we need to understand that who I am is greater than who I was. And I may have been one who was hurt and offended by you in the past, and you used to be my enemy. But who I am now is one who sees you as my neighbor. And I will bless you, even though you've cursed me. Jesus says, secondly, do good to those who hate you. Do good. When the Bible says to do good, this is what it means. Now think about that person that asked you to get here. Think about that person now, okay? What it means is to do good is to leave no room for blame on your part. That you are faultless in your response. That you don't let someone else's offense make you offensive. How many times has it happened when maybe they have been the, wrong, the one in the wrong to begin with, who maybe they did start the fight to begin with, but our response has been just as offensive as their offense? And Jesus says, no, that's not the way it should be amongst my people. That you don't let your response to their unrighteousness make you unrighteous. Jesus says. See, when, when, when someone does you wrong, God sees two things. What they did and how you respond. See, we can't let their ugly mess up our walk with Jesus. We cannot allow their sin to mute our relentless love. We cannot mirror back to them what they have showed us. So you do good and you make sure that your response leaves no room for ill to be spoken of you. Boy, this is a hard part, isn't it? Right? 
See, the problem is there's so many religious people walking around filling up churches and very few Christ followers. And the third thing Jesus says is pray for those who spitefully use you and those who persecute you. Now notice what the Bible says. Pray for those who. It doesn't say pray about those who. We'd love to pray about them. Oh, Lord, just convict them. Make things fall apart. Give them back the hair, the fleas of a thousand camels. But the Bible says pray for. Pray for those who spitefully. Jesus, what are you saying? To spitefully use. That means those people who have insulted me who have treated me abusively? All joking aside, this is some serious stuff, isn't it? Why would we do this? Why would, why would anybody in their right mind choose to do what Jesus says? Because the Bible says, has this mind in you, have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because in my right mind, I will not. But with the mind of Christ, I will. And because I know that somehow this is for my highest good. See, when I love like this, when you and I love like this, verse 48 comes to fruition, therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. What that means is not perfection as in no error. What it means is then I am complete, a full-grown adult. Until I learn to live this way, I will live as a child throwing hands with other children. What I have to learn is just because I don't love somebody doesn't mean Jesus doesn't love somebody. And so as I try to respond like Christ, I pray for those who have done me wrong. And this is my prayer. Remember it. It should be yours as well. God, when you want to bless them, bless them big. God, when you want to show favor to them, go big. Bless that person so much that they have no time to think about me. Bless them so much that your favor on them has overridden whatever we have between us. You pray for them what you pray for yourself. Here's our prayer for ourselves. God, in spite of my past and regardless of my future, respond to me according to the full measure of your mercy and the full magnitude of your in spite of what I've done in advance of what I do bless me according to the full measure of your mercy and full magnitude of your grace that then becomes your prayer for that person in spite of what they've done in regards of what they will do show them the magnitude of your mercy and your grace and go big for them God can you do it? So the question is this, because that's the love that makes us full grown. Because that's the love that literally, I am a, when I look at what the Bible says, how we're supposed to live, it's no wonder to me 
how we've gotten to the place we've gotten in our world. Because there have been legions of abuse and harm and hurt and failure and prejudice and pain. And the response from the world has always been eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and let me add a little bit to it. You want to change the world. Love as Jesus loved. And start with those who you have labeled to this point as your enemy. So my question is this. Who do you need to relentlessly love? My question is this. Who do we need to pray? My question is this. Who is it that we need to ask God to relentlessly bless? Who is it that we have labeled as our enemy that must become our neighbor? I dare you to do. Father, thank you. Thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that nothing we do, nothing that we neglect, could remove us and separate us from that love. God, if I'm honest, you've made it difficult because of your relentless son. It would have been so much easier for us <laughs> had you said there was a limit. It would have been easy had you said, you've crossed this line, I'm done. Because that would have given me permission to have a limit. That would have given me permission for someone who crosses a line for me to be done. But that's not how you love. God, this is hard. And we cannot and will never be able to do this on our own. So, Father, in this moment, would you overwhelm us with your relentless love? And no longer will we see those who have indeed hurt us and caused us pain as our enemies. Help us to relabel them as our neighbor. Father, we believe that this is for our good. And right now there are people who are doing battle with the evil one who wants to convince them that they cannot and they will not. And there's no way in hell they could ever love somebody like this after what they've done. Holy Spirit, I ask that in the name of Jesus, you would combat that in their lives right now. You've called us to be a peculiar people. And I can't think of anything more peculiar than changing labels from enemies to neighbors. So God, you've loved us with a relentless love. Help us to love others with your relentless love. For our good. In your name I pray, amen. Now let me say this one last thing. This is such a profound truth. This has such a profound impact on you and your world. Let me tell you what's at stake. God will not bless you while your enemies with ones who bear his image. Do you understand? 
God will not come to the aid of those who are in need while we are enemies of those in need who bear his image. God will not look upon with favor those faces who look at other faces as enemies who bear his image. This can be so liberating and so freeing and so profound if you, when you've been hurt, can get past that and love with the relentless love of Christ. If you've experienced it, you know what it feels like. If you've experienced it, you know the, what, it, what it is to receive. If you've experienced it, you know how to give it. You just have to choose to give it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God have this, let your mind that was in Christ just be in me that would live peculiarly to those who I've always labeled as my enemy. Do you understand? Are you upset at me? Because you seem a little bit upset at me. You all right? Get his deal. You're not going to get this until you do this. Because God command. Here's it. Here's what I just said. God's commandments are God's enablements. And so because he's commanded you, he's therefore enabled you. But you'll never feel the enablement of it till you obey the commandment of it. So he says, don't feel this way and then do this way. He says, do this way and then you'll be able to do it. So you just start doing it. You understand? So that person in your head, they're no longer your enemy. They're your neighbor. They're your neighbor. And your job, our job, is to now do relentlessly, to love them relentlessly. Do you understand? Now, you're really going to feel it when you stand up and start singing about it. Because it's got to change. Our outward experience, it's got to change in here. Do you understand? And if it changes in here, it's got to show up out here. Let's sing this.